Welcome to Renewables in Action, the podcast that gives you all the information you want to know about renewable energy across the world. Hello, hello you. How are you doing? Recently, I've talked to Chris Flavin, who was working for Gridwork, very, very interesting company that are sort of rebuilding a new model for transmission and distribution, right? Functioning, working, mainly on renewable. It's very interesting. For this week, I'm bringing you forward the CEO of this company, just to have the same kind of conversation, but to give you a lot more insight. So I tell you what, you definitely want to be looking at that because we're going to be talking about who is Simon Hudson, what makes Gridworks such a special, innovative company, and also understanding about their more power dimension, yeah, what is actually driving them to develop this project, and also understanding what kind of impact it can have. I tell you what, there is a lot you're going to love in this episode, so stay tuned and thank you for connecting. Do you want to understand the renewable energy sector, its trends, business models, and insights? Are you interested in learning about the challenges and opportunities, as well as how you or your business can thrive in this new world? Welcome to Renewables in Action, the show that helps you realize your potential in this industry, which is the fastest growing source of energy in the world. Here is your host, former automotive engineer turned clean energy entrepreneur and expert, Tony you. Last week, I had the pleasure to talk to a very interesting company, Gridworks, and uh, tell you everything about what they do. I've interviewed Chris Flavin, Head of International Development, but today I'm even more privileged because I'm talking to the CEO of the company, Simon Hudson. But I'm not going to tell you much more than that because, Simon, welcome, first of all, into our podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Excellent. So, Simon, before we actually crack on, I think people are always impressed, you know, talking about CEO, a very innovative company. So I'd like to find out who is Simon Hudson and actually what is driving you on a day-to-day basis? Uh, great, great question, Tony. Um, what, I, what I love about Gridworks, and Gridworks is a journey that had its origins in 2018. So um, I came I came along and was asked if I would like to set up this platform. And I pitched to the then CDC people who were driving the, this initiative. And five years, you know, close to five years later, we, we have uh, more than 20 very enthusiastic, passionate people working in Gridworks. We have for investments in a range of innovative and unique um, investments, uh, one of which you talked about uh, with Chris Flavin uh, last week. Um, and I think what drives me uh, and what has always driven me as an individual is doing things which haven't been done before. If I look back at, um, you know, I was doing things in Cuba 25 years ago, it, it always fascinates me to attempt to do things which haven't been done before. And I think uh, electricity network investment, which is what we are all about at Gridworks, developing and investing in electricity networks and creating sustainable models that can absorb the renewables desperately needed. In, that can be undertaken in a sustainable, sustainable in all parts of what we mean by sustainable uh, but certainly financially sustainable, is, is what drives me and what drives my team. Uh, everybody is passionate. It's difficult. When you're doing something which hasn't been done before, it, it is not easy and it's a, it's a big challenge. But 
close to five years into the journey, I think there is a overwhelming tide of change and recognition that capital, not just capital, but capital and associated private sector practices need to come into electricity networks. Okay, so hold on a minute, because I just want to make sure that I heard it correctly. Are you saying that you're the one who initially pitched this idea to CDC now or now BII? There was um, a long gestation period within BII for a number of years. A couple of my colleagues, uh, Chris Flavin and Sean Githuku, uh, came from BII before they joined Gridworks, and they were both working for a number of years in the incubation period, as I call it, uh, in BI, when, the, when they were looking and evaluating P&D, transmission and distribution, as a, as a sort of key bottleneck mm. to the development of the sector. So, you know, there were this, and of course, um, CDC has its origins of in investing in the sector through UMEME back in 2004, one of the, uh, one of the very few examples of investment in this sector. So no, I didn't pitch it. I, it spent a number of years in the incubation department, so to speak, at CDC. Okay, it's great to see that now the baby has been born. So, <laughs> so it that. certainly has, and uh, we're, we're, we're growing up rapidly. Yeah, It's a long journey, and it will be a long journey. And obviously, you say that you always fail to attempt or to do things that have never been done before. So what really, in your word, what makes Gridworks a platform that is unique and why are you so convinced that it will succeed? Um, let's take the, the, the second part of your question first. It's inevitable that private sector capital will flow into this way. I mean, Africa is the only continent in the planet that doesn't have private sector capital flows into transmission or indeed in a significant way and even into the distribution space in any material way. And I think we saw what happened in, in South America, Latin America, in the last 20, 30 years with large-scale private sector capital coming into the transmission space. And it really has transformed the amount of capital, the amount of critical infrastructure available through those capital flows. And I'm sure the same thing will happen in Africa. There's lots of statistics about the lack of of infrastructure, whether that in any shape or form in electricity networks. You know, Africa as a continent has fewer trans kilometers of transmission lines than Brazil, whole mm. continent. And it's generally a lack of capital. The origins of why there's a lack of capital come from ostensibly because it's been a highly politicized environment, electricity networks. And there needs to be general recognition that it doesn't necessarily need to be a highly politicized piece of infrastructure, as exists in many other continents around, around the world. Africa needs the capital, and it needs the capital to flow into commercially sustainable projects and investments. And this will allow absorption of a greater amount of renewables in the process too. Mm. And definitely you should need to be commended for what you're doing there, because clearly you demonstrated the way forward to many people, and hopefully in the next few years, people will follow your good step. So I'd like to come back into a little bit more practical level because I know in 2021, you started a major project, which is the Moi Power, where you sort of uh, rebuilding 24-7 grid that will absorb a lot of renewables. Never been done before and looking forward to see how it will plan out. And you've also been involved into other projects, Virunga, Amari, 
So on a day-to-day basis, in realizing those projects, what kind of challenges are you coming across? And how do you get the team still motivated to go beyond that? Challenges come in lots of different shapes and, and sizes. Um, let's take Moi Power as an example. It's a very novel, innovative way of structuring what is sometimes called metro grids. It's basically a greenfield vertically integrated utility, buying the generation, the uh, transmission, the distribution, all the way to the end user. The problem is partially because these structures are new and untested. We think they can be very, very interesting models for electrification, uh, wider replication in DRC and indeed more widely in Africa because they are sustainable. They are financially sustainable, which means they do not require donor subsidies on an ongoing basis. There is a capital buy-down grant at the beginning, but other than that, they become sustainable models that can evolve and grow in the decades ahead. That's one of the first challenges because it's all new. It's new for the donors, it's new for the investors, it's new for the lenders, it's new for the regulator in DRC, and it's new for the government of of DRC. Logistically, the challenges are that these three cities, uh, Gimena, uh, Bumba and Isiro in the north of DRC, are a very, very long way away from Mm -hmm. anywhere. Isiro to Kinshasa is 2,000 kilometers. It's, um, Moscow to London is a shorter distance. <laughs> um, so the travel, moving to these places is very, very challenging. Um, getting equipment and kit and almost anything to these places is challenging and expensive. So the logistics of Moi Power add to the challenge of doing something which is a first and a new for everybody involved. Amari is, which I think you spoke with Chris last week, which is the transmission infrastructure project in Uganda, the first to be financed uh, through private sector means on the continent, in fact, and the first in Uganda, is challenging because it's also new. It's new for the government of Uganda, it's new for the Minister of Energy, the, the regulator, the transmission services company. It's new for everybody. They, now, whilst what we are doing closely resembles, it's not a million miles away from an IPP in the generation space, it is nevertheless, it's new and it's different. And it requires a lot of understanding and patience to go through the various processes to do something which is new and a different way of, of, of financing something. And we would not have been in that situation really without a forward-looking, receptive government as we have with the government of Uganda. And and that's what we look for in grid works when we're choosing to, where, you know, because there is a need across the entire continent. Um, but it's these regimes and governments that are receptive to what private sector capital and practices and associated way of doing things can deliver for their economy and are prepared to be receptive to the challenge and the learnings required to make it happen. Mm. And here is a question I have for you for those projects. How can you guarantee that at the end of the concession, they will be both affordable and profitable? So obviously we're not talking about the same stakeholder here, right? So the affordability, that's for the end users. The profitability is more for towards your funders and your investors. What makes you sure that you'll be able to meet both those requirements? 
Um, interesting question. I think more importantly is how do we can guarantee it at the start of the concession? Uh, 20 years into the future is 20 years into the future. But the affordability in when you're developing a greenfield grid, particularly in Africa, which has affordability challenges, is, is very key. So we have had to undertake um, very, very extensive on-the-ground household surveys in all three cities in the north of DRC over the last 12 months, 15 months, to determine what is the level of affordability throughout the target parts of these cities. And, and that's not a quick task. So we've spent a huge amount of time and effort determining what is considered an acceptable level of affordability. And these things take time. These things take, take a lot of effort. Clearly, you have to do this work. And then there is the, if you like, the, the donors and the donor funding uh, will be required in order to get the cost of the tariff down to a level that is affordable. We know what affordable means in terms of dollars per month in these cities, and the rest is basically simple arithmetic and the availability of donor funds to bring that tariff to an affordable level. The way the Moy Power concession works means that the initial investment, probably about $130 million in the initial form, but the, the capital will grow over the 20 years of concession as demand grows, as population grows and demand grows and the economy grows. So we expect the total amount of investment to double or triple over the 20 years of concession. And all of that growth will be funded in line with the demographic and the evolving demand of these cities. Mm. So doing business in GRC and in Uganda, these are not necessarily places people will see as easy to do business. They see the continent of Africa in general usually as risky. And I'd be curious to understand because I like to see a lot more people doing work just like what you are doing. So how are you managing those risks? Look, I mean, doing business in the areas that we are working in the African continent you know, has risk, has considerable risk. And we are very fortunate in our shareholder, BII, to have capital that is patient and is able to take the long gestation and development risk necessary to give birth to these sorts of projects. Uh, Moi Power is a new model that has not been undertaken before, and it has its origins as a project back in 2016-17, when the then DFID created the ESOR program, which went out to tender, um, and there was a whole tender process which has resulted in the, what is what has become Moi Power today. These are very long gestation periods for project development, particularly when you're doing something which hasn't been done before in a way and shape and structure that hasn't been done before. And we are only able to do this because the capital we have within Gridworks allows us to take those very long development risks. And obviously, it's exactly the same with Amari and the transmission space too. What we hope and aspire towards is that these models that we are creating and will crowd in further private sector capital in the years ahead, and that projects like Moyi will be replicated in a way which has much, much faster timelines. And projects like Amari will start appearing all over the continent of Africa 
with much shorter periods as other governments and ministries of finance and regulators across the continent see this as a very, very useful financing tool for their critical infrastructure. And it can be done in a faster and faster way and with greater degree of replication and speed. And in a decade from now, it will start to appear like IPP started to appear after their sort of inception in the 1990s, and it becomes a whole sector in itself. Mm. And this project that you mentioned, are they the only one you are focusing on, or are you still sourcing projects? And if you're sourcing projects, so how do you source them? Good question. Um, let's start, uh, as always, with the last part of your question first. We will always focus our efforts and activities as a small team where there is greatest degree of receptivity to what we have to offer. That means where more often than not, we are interacting with the Ministry of Energy and with the regulator across the continent, and where there is real receptivity to put in place the building blocks necessary for private sector capital to flow in a meaningful way. This is where we will decide to work, uh, because... We need to work where there's a, a reasonable bang for the buck, so to speak, in terms of it, it's all about return on effort. Ultimately, there is need across the continent, but there has to be real political receptivity to what we have to offer at Gridworks to make it worthwhile to justify our time and effort in the particular country. Okay, excellent. That's good to know. So how do you build capacity? and also develop local expertise skill because projects that you're developing, they will have a long lifetime. So we're talking about 20 years and plus here. And the key thing here I can mention would be the management, but also there's the, the maintenance of these assets, but also probably the management of these assets. And I'm sure you're very keen on developing local skills for that. So how do you go about it, developing the skills and also building capacity? Um, touch on a few different things there, Tony. Um, we will always, always endeavor to source local talent for our businesses and continual education of all forms are a core aspect that defines and underpins everything we do at Gridworks. So where the talent is available locally, we will source it. Where it is not available locally, we will find it from elsewhere, perhaps in surrounding jurisdictions. And always, always, we will have a philosophy to train and develop talent at all levels in our businesses. A good example, on, on the transmission side, we recognize that in Gridworks, people who are ostensibly based in London can only do so much. So in Uganda, we have recruited people on the ground. We have a country director there. We, we have other resources. And we will increase the resources available locally to take on the development of these projects. And that's a that'll be a similar story in the other countries where we have transmission infrastructure projects under development. We will always look for local teams that can take the project on after a certain point in time. We will sort of guide, we will back, we will resource, we will mentor these local development teams. But ultimately the nuances and the texture of developing projects in any African country are unique from country to country to country. And you can only do so much from what is today predominantly a London-based team. So it's basically our philosophy, but it's also an essential need. You can't develop these projects day to day, week to week, month to month from far. They need to be developed locally. 
Excellent. So last question for you, obviously, you're traveling to AEF, as I understand. And I just wanted to understand what are your expectations for this summit? So if you have to summarize them in three key objectives, what would they be? Um, I've been coming to AEF for many, many years, too numerous to, to mention. But what I have noticed in the last you know, three or four or five since the uh, Gridworks journey began is there is growing level of acceptance of the need for investment in electricity networks. As one of those people doing the first IPPs in Africa in the 1990s, when it was all new, I'm beginning to sense that same feeling about network investment. There will be the first projects and the second and the third. And I'm hoping, and I'm pretty convinced that it will be the case, that will be much more discussion and conversations about the need for network investment, how that investment is going to materialize in distribution and transmission, the need to have sustainable electricity networks to absorb a greater proportion of renewable energy and to do it in a sustainable way. I've seen this evolve over the last three, four, five years, and I'm hoping that AF we will see this conversation come to the next level. And in the further five years from now, I'm hoping that network investment and TND will be well on that journey to becoming an investable asset class in the same way that IPPs uh, were in the 1990s and the 20, 30 years since. Well, I would say that people I experience as you, you're talking about and have been one of the first to push the IPP model in the continent. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of progress made there. Simon, that's been a very enlightening discussion I had with you. So I've learned a lot in particular. And I'm looking forward to see you in person in Nairobi because uh, I'm sure we may be continuing this conversation over a good coffee or tea. So looking forward to that. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Tony. Look forward to it too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of Renewables in Action. I hope you learned one or two things today. If you have, please do take action. Also, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast in Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you like. You can reach out to me, Tony T on LinkedIn, to connect, to share your feedback. I look forward to speaking with you. Until then, may the sun be with you. See you next time on the Renewables in Action podcast.